Well, good morning, Zoe Church. How is everyone doing this morning? <laughs> Guys, it is 2024. I'm excited to be here with you at the start uh, of a new year. And so before we jump into this, I just got to carry a little bit of my announcement uh, self with me and remind you that if you are in this room next Sunday, okay, next Sunday, January 14th is our Vision Sunday for 2024. So if you are in this room, you need to be here next Sunday on January 14th. Uh, Greg is going to have a message for us as we start and head into 2024 uh, of what the vision of Zoe Church will be like this year. And so I would encourage all of you to be here, but especially uh, if you are new, this is a great opportunity uh, to really just get a feel for where we as Zoe Church are going to be heading in the new year. So I'm very, very excited for that. So with that being said, guys, I have to be honest with you. I'm very, I'm super honored and thankful for Pastor Greg and Amber in my life, how they have uh, ministered to me, how they have uh, built me up and thankful for this opportunity today. But I'm going to be completely transparent, you guys. I am very nervous today. I cannot remember the last time that I was this nervous on a Sunday. I'm going to be for real. So I'd appreciate your prayers today. Uh, the Bears play the Packers at 3.30, and I just cannot, I can't lose that game. And so I really need you to pray. You can pray after service too. The game's at 3.30. Around that time would actually be ideal. Uh, we haven't won since 2018, so it's a really big day for me. I really need, really, really need that. Uh, but a few things about myself. Uh, I have been the youth pastor here uh, for about a year and a half now. Uh, and as Greg has mentioned, uh, I actually started coming to this church when I was in high school. I started attending youth group here. Uh, so I've been a part of Zoe Church, before it was Zoe Church, for about seven years now. And uh, one of the things that I like to talk most about myself is I got married just under a year and a half ago uh, to my amazing wife, Marissa. And how many of you guys in this room who are married, I'm sure you know that when you get married and you, you move in with someone, that there are adjustments that are made to your life, Okay. Uh, I found out very quickly what one of my adjustments was uh, because when I moved in and Marissa and I got our apartments and we got married and we got everything situated and, you know, we're living our new normal lives. We're trying to figure out how we're going to keep our house clean. Uh, I found out that one of my deficiencies as a person um, is the ability to do dishes. Um, Growing up, I have three younger brothers. We would occasionally do dishes, but my, for the most part, my mom did a lot of the dishes. And so when I moved in and we're doing our own life now, um, I, I was in charge of dishes. And it's not something that I was particularly great at. I would not say it's one of my strengths as a human. Um, I am type of one of those people who I would say, oh, there's a stack of dishes there, but they're mine, so I'll clean them. And I have more plates in the, in the uh, cu cupboard, so I'm good. Um, that doesn't work when you're married. That's not an answer that Marissa was looking for uh, when I said, hey, I know there's food there, and it's been a couple days, but it's okay. Uh, she was like, mm, not really okay. Not really a thing that was okay. So I, uh, and I'm still learning, Marissa would say, I've hopefully gotten better, not perfect at it yet. We're still working on it. Uh, I am, I had to take the responsibility of doing the dishes. I had to, to get the responsibility ingrained in me to realize that this was my responsibility. And the reason that I bring that up is today, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about not just what is my responsibility, but what is my responsibility, what is your responsibility, what, of, what is all of our responsibilities as believers? 
And so to start, I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you are with us, you can stand up. It's just something we do here at Zoe Church that says we honor God's word above everything else. Uh, and if you are watching online, we're so excited that you are here with us too. And you can turn there as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 is where we're going to start this morning. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, God, we thank you for the fact that you have called us. God, I pray today that you would show us in your word, God, you would encourage us and challenge us with what our responsibility as believers is. God, I pray that today this would not be my thoughts, God, my ideas, but that your spirit would speak to us, God. We praise you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's three things in this passage uh, that we see that we are called to as believers. We're going to put them up on the screen right here. The first one is this. We are the royal priesthood, right? First Peter chapter 2 says that you are a, the royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a chosen race, a chosen people. That as believers, these are what our identity comes from. This is where our identity is formed, that we are these things. And maybe for some of you in this room, you're like, those sound like kind of words that I'm not really sure what they mean. What is, what is that? What is the responsibility? What's the weight of that? That's what I want to look at today. I want us to take these three things in mind, being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, being the chosen people of God. I want us to take a look at those three things, and I want us to understand what that means and the responsibility that comes with that. So we've got three points today of what it means to be these things, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And point number one of this today is this, there are not holier people. There are not holier people. There are not people who are holier than you. There are not people who, who, who are holier than, than you or holier than where your faith walk is. There are not people who are holier than you because nobody is holy except God. The reason that we are called a holy nation is because Jesus has given us that identity. That comes from nothing you have done. That comes from nothing you have earned. That is what Jesus has given you as your identity, which means that there are not people who are holier than you. There are not people who are holier than you because nobody is holy except God. See, I think that sometimes we can fall into the trap of we can see people who are maybe they're pastors or maybe they're prominent Christian figures and we can fall into this trap of feeling like those are people who are really holy. Like those people are like, if God had favorites, it would be those people, right? We all know someone that would be like, wow, like, man, they're maybe like the holy people. But the reality is that there are people who are more mature in their faith because they've been following Jesus longer, maybe. But those people are just like you. Those people are just like me. And we can begin to believe and catch ourselves in this lie of comparing ourselves to other people. 
And comparison kills. Every time, no matter the circumstance, comparison kills. And if we think that there are people that are holier than us, if we think that there are people who are God's favorites, we can catch ourselves comparing us to them. And we can find ourselves in this trap, uh, in this circle that we can believe that we're not good enough because, oh my gosh, look at how much better that person is. And it can rob us of our identity of being the chosen people of God, of being the holy nation, of being the royal priesthood, because we've convinced ourselves that there are other people that that apply to rather than us. See, the goal of faith is not to look at other people and say, oh, I wish I could be like Pastor Greg someday. Oh my, I, I wish I could be like Billy Graham someday. That's not the goal of faith. The goal of faith is to have our eyes focused on Jesus and see and understand that Jesus is what we're seeking after, that Jesus is who I'm pursuing. If, if I am confused and think that somebody is holier than me and I'm looking to follow them, then my eyes have gotten off of the prize, which is Jesus. Your call as a believer is to pursue after the one who has given you the title of a holy nation, and that's Jesus. We have to understand this, that we are all on equal playing field as believers. You and I are all imperfect and broken people pursuing a perfect and a righteous God who for some reason loves and cares for us, who has given us the identity of a holy nation. So point number one of what it means to be the royal priesthood, the chosen people, the holy nation, is that there are not holier people. And point number two is this, people are not God. People are not God. Just like we are holy because Jesus has called us holy, people are not God. These two go hand in hand. Because I think it's very easy when we get into that situation where we think there's like, you know, God's favorites, the real people, the, the real Christians, that there's this differentiation between us and them. And suddenly we've put them closer to God. And whether we mean to or not, unintentionally, we can catch ourselves in the situation where, where we are equating this person with God or, or we are looking at this person as our vessel to God. Oftentimes we link people to God. And when that happens, when that happens, we get into a dangerous spot because just like I said, people are broken, they are sinful, they are imperfect, but they're pursuing a perfect God. And so when you compare or, or, or you equate a broken and imperfect person to God, or you think that your only access to God is through a broken and imperfect person, you are going to end up in a position of hurt. Because what's going to happen is that broken and imperfect person is going to do something that hurts your feelings. They're going to do something that, that gets on your nerves, whether on purpose or on accident, we're going to be hurt by people. And if we think that people are linked to God, we can find ourselves being hurt by people, but placing the blame on God. We can find ourselves in a situation where somebody hurt me, but now I think it's God's fault because this person is who speaks to God and this person is who speaks to me. 
or I'm hurt by God because this is the person in my life who's my access point to God. And we don't mean to do it. I'm sure none of us mean to do it, but we can find ourselves in that situation. Let me tell you this. You do not need somebody to connect you to God. You do not need an, 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 intermediator, an intermediator between you and God. You don't need somebody that gives you access to God because that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross so that you could have that access to God, that you don't have to go through somebody else. Just like you think a priest or a pastor wouldn't have to go to someone else, that's why you are called the royal priesthood because you don't have to go from where you are to someone else to God. Jesus has done all of that work. And so just like we can find ourselves thinking that people are holier and miss the fact that we're supposed to be looking at God, when we think that some person is our link between us and Christ, we miss what Jesus has done. Because Jesus paid it all so that he could be the bridge. Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody, not even Greg, not even me, your access to God comes from Christ's sacrifice. People are not God. One of my, one of my favorite things about being a pastor is that oftentimes I get to pray with people. Oftentimes people will, will come to me and they'll ask uh, me to pray with them or have a prayer request. And I love getting to do that. I love getting to come alongside people uh, in the situations that they're at and, and care for them and love them and pray with them. But sometimes as a pastor, you, you have someone come up to you and, and ask for prayer. And it's not just because they want someone to be there with them, but it's because like my prayer is like, I have like a God on speed dial. And like, if they're gonna pray, like it's like, oh, it would maybe work, but like, oh, could you just pray for me? Could you pray for me, please? And I'm always like, dude, let me tell you something. God's not listening to my prayers more than he's listening to your prayers, okay? Like I am not different than you. I'm not special than you. We are all on the same playing field. And that's what that intermediator can kind of look like. It's whether we mean to do it or not, we can find ourselves thinking, oh, well, if, if this person would pray for me, oh my gosh, then, then I'd be set. Or if this person would speak something to me, then I would be ready. Then I, could, then I would know what God's saying to me. And God uses people in prayer sometimes, and God uses people to speak things into your life sometimes. But if that's what your access point is, then you're missing everything. Because Jesus is the one who speaks to you. Jesus is the one that changes situations, that changes circumstances, that brings healing. The Holy Spirit moving and working is what does all of those things. We're all on equal playing field. We're all just vessels to be used by God. So point number one is there's not holier people. Point number two is people are not God. And point number three of what it means to be the royal priesthood, the chosen people, the holy nation, is this. Our faith has to be active. Our faith has to be active. It has to be active because there's not somebody that's over that for us. There's not somebody responsible for you knowing Jesus. That's your life. 
Jesus has made the sacrifice. He stands at the door waiting. He's given you the invitation. Nobody can accept that for you. Nobody can, can take the steps of faith for you. And it's not just that personally our faith has to be active, right? It's not just that we have to have ownership and we have to have responsibility for our own personal faith with Jesus, because by the way, that's what Jesus wants with you, is a personal faith. Jesus wants to walk through your life with you. He wants to be the Lord over every part of your life, even the parts that you don't want people to know. That's the God you serve, is a God that loves you and cares for you and wants to know you personally and intimately, and no one else can do that for you. It's not just that for ourselves, we have to have an active faith. But what it means to be the royal priesthood of God is that we have to be active in our faith in everything we do. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think is most likely to be able to minister to your next door neighbor? You or Pastor Greg? It's a tough one. You know, you see him probably three times a week, maybe almost every day if you wanted to. Greg would see them Never, unless you ask them to church. It's not Greg's responsibility to minister to your friends. Let me ask you this question. Who do you think has the best ability to be a witness in your workplace? You. Students, who do you think has the ability to be a, a light, to be an example of faith in your schools? Is it me? No. It's you that spend eight hours a day there. We have to understand that the responsibility of faith means that we're not just personally responsible, but that we are outwardly responsible. You are the priest. You are the royal priesthood. That's what your identity is. Stop waiting for somebody else to do the things that God has placed in your life. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave them to do the work, right? Oh, I got Greg. Greg, he's going to do the work. Oh, I'm a youth kid. I got Jordan. Jordan's going to do the work, right? That's what they're here for. Oh, no, wait. It says that the pastors and the teachers are here to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness. Oh, so, so Greg's responsibility is to equip you so that you can go do the ministry, so that you can go do the works of service. I wanna look just, just I'm gonna read this really quick for you, just two chapters previously in Ephesians, you, you might have heard this one, right? For we are God's handiwork. Oh, that's so nice. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I am the handiwork of God. God created me. He knew me. He knit me together. Ah, oh, we are the handiwork of God, created in Christ Jesus, amen, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You don't need somebody else because God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. 
See, one of my favorite things about being a pastor is when I get the opportunity to, to pray with people and to, to pray with students. But if I'm being completely real, my, my absolute favorite part of being a pastor is when I see the way that God is moving and working in the lives of our students, in the lives of leaders, in the lives of their students' friends. Just recently, uh, we had a student uh, who came to youth for the first time. She'd never been to youth. She saw that her friend had posted a uh, a podcast about faith. She listened to it. She texted her friend and she was like, no one in my family, no one in my life believes in Jesus. I need to know God. I need to come to church. She comes to youth the next Wednesday. And that's one of my, that's my favorite thing. My favorite thing is seeing the way that God moves and works in people's lives. To seeing, seeing the way that people were one way and then they encounter and they experience Jesus and they leave changed. That when students come to youth on a Wednesday night and we have a service and they spend time at the altar, I know it wasn't because of something I said. I know it was because the Spirit of the Lord spoke to them. And I just get to see it happen. That's one of my favorite things to do. See the way that students have been praying for something and they see that breakthrough. Seeing students experience healing, experience peace, it's the best thing. Nothing compares to it. And let me tell you this, that is what God wants for you. God wants you to see and experience the way that people's lives are changed and transformed. It's not a pastor's job to get to see someone's life changed by Jesus. That's what all of us as believers are called into. We're the royal priesthood. We get to see people's lives changed every single day by the gospel if we are obedient. But if we find ourselves in this passive faith where we sit and we wait for somebody else to do it, we're not going to see that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about being the chosen people, being a royal priesthood, being a holy nation, being God's special possession. Why is that? Why are we those things? It's so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Isn't that what we're celebrating as believers? is that all of us, no matter where we're at in life, we were all lost. We were all people without a home, but Jesus, through His Son, God, through His Son, Jesus, died on the cross so that we could be not just a people with a home, but that we could be God's special possession. Our lives have been changed. Our lives have been transformed. And if our lives have been changed and our lives have been transformed, how much more should we want to see that happen for the people who are still without a home, for people that are still lost? God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. My big so what today, the point of everything, if you forget everything I said, remember this, 
You do it. You do it. You do it. Your faith, your relationship with Jesus, you do it. You've been waiting for, for someone to minister to that coworker or that, that friend you have at school that, that doesn't know Jesus. You do it. You do it. Guess whose job it is to, to, to train up your family to, to know Jesus? That's your job. If you're a parent in this room, guess what? It's not Z-Kids' job to teach your students about Jesus. That's your job. If you're a parent in the room, it's not my job to teach your students about Jesus. It's your job. I have the privilege of coming alongside and supporting you in what you're doing. And if you're a person in this room, your faith, you believing in Jesus, it's not Greg's responsibility, it's yours. You do it. You've been, we've been gifted people. I have been gifted by Pastor Greg and Pastor Amber in my life because they have ministered to me. But that's not who's changed my life. Jesus has changed my life. We have people that come alongside us and minister to us, but that's not where our lives are changed. So you do it. You take ownership of your faith in your life, not just personally, but in everything that you do. When you have a friend that has a prayer request, pray for them. Oh, well, they don't believe in Jesus. Then nobody's praying for them. You might have coworkers at work who are going through difficult times or friends at school and their families don't believe in Jesus. Nobody is praying for them. So you do it. My, my, my prayer and my goal for this message is that there's a, there's a challenge there, right? Like there's a challenge of, uh, of we have to be believers who are doing the work that God has called us to. But my other hope, my, my main hope is that today is an encouragement for you. Because I think what can happen sometimes when we fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other believers or thinking that other people are, are closer to God is we can have this insecurity. We can say, oh, well, well, God is using them, but I mean, I got, I got all this stuff going on in my life. I mean, uh, of course God's using Pastor Greg, but I mean, what am, what am I gonna do? Can I tell you that that is a lie that is trying to prevent you from stepping into what your God-given identity is? When we read Ephesians and we talk about how God has prepared good works in advance for us, do you know that the person who wrote Ephesians literally for years of his life killed Christians? Like murdered, executed, killed Christians. But God had prepared good works in advance for Paul to do. Paul says, I am the greatest of all sinners because your responsibility, your calling, the good works that are prepared in advance for you, they don't have to do with you being good enough. They have to do with Jesus calling you the royal priesthood, his chosen people, his special possession, and the holy nation of Christ. That's what your identity is. So the band is gonna come up tonight, today. I'm just figuring out Wednesday night, it's not night, today, but you should have gotten a card when you walked in this morning. 
a little blank card. And here's what I want you to do with that card. I want you to pull that card out right now. The band is going to play and we're going we're gonna to sing a song that talks about obedience to what Christ has called us to. We're going to sing a song about, about having a heart that is open to what God has given us direction with. But my challenge for you today with that card is this. I want you to write down one area, just one. I want you to write down one area in your life that you can take responsibility for your faith in. Maybe that is your coworkers or your friends at school that don't know Jesus. And you want to say, hey, how can I be a light to them? Write that down. Maybe you're in this room and you'd say that, hey, if I'm being honest, my faith is Sunday mornings, the next Sunday morning. <laughs> That's my faith. Hey, maybe the area that you need to take responsibility of, of your faith is how can I engage with God's word, with prayer outside of Sundays? Or maybe you're like, hey, I need to start a Bible study with my friends. Whatever that is, I want to give you this space, this moment right now to sit with God and say, God, what is that first step that I can take right now in having my own personal responsibility of faith?